in whose name we pray. Amen. Good morning. If you're able, please stand for the reading of God's word as we read from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 31, verses 7 through 14, and also from the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. I hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. Sing with joy for Jacob. Shout for the foremost of the nations. Make your praises heard and say, O Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. See, I will bring them from the land of the north and gather them from the ends of the earth. Among them will be the blind and the lame, expectant mothers and women in labor. A great throng will return. They will come with weeping. They will pray as I bring them back. I will lead them beside streams of water on a level path where they will not stumble because I am Israel's father and Ephraim is my firstborn son. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations. Proclaim it in distant coastlands. He who scattered Israel will gather and will gather them and will watch over his flock like a shepherd. For the Lord will ransom Jacob and redeem them from the hand of those stronger than they. They will come and shout for joy on the heights of Zion. They will rejoice in the bounty of the Lord, the grain, the new wine, and the oil, the young of the flocks and herds. They will be like a well-watered garden, and they will sorrow no more. Then maidens will dance and be glad, young men and old as well. I will turn their mourning into gladness. I will give them comfort and joy instead of sorrow. I will satisfy the priests with abundance, and my people will be filled with my bounty, declares the Lord. And Paul, writing from his jail cell, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. The message today is one that speaks to a a truth that's difficult for unbelievers and believers alike to accept. The scripture asserts that God works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Now any thinking person would, would, would react to what it's suggesting. 
That there's, that there's nothing that escapes God's control. And no one or nothing can thwart his plan. God is unstoppable in what he determines to do. There's no political force that can overthrow his plan. So any thinking person reading this should rightly be astounded by this assertion. Yet, if we by faith grasp what the text is showing us, we, we too, like Paul, will burst into praise. Because if we understand what the scripture is teaching us here, we will not be polarized by the events of the year gone by, nor paralyzed by what's to come since we are assured that we have a God who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. And the text shows us this by, as it speaks to us about the preeminence of God, the power of God, the purpose of God for the people of God to the praise of the glory of God. So let's turn our attention to this. The preeminence of God. Look at verses 1, verse 3 through 5. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. So to work out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, God must be preeminent. See, in the preeminence of God, that's another way of saying that he's superior, that he's sovereign. Now, so the preeminence of God is, is seen in, in what he does before the creation. He chooses, he determines, he takes delight in what he is, and, and, he's, and, and, in his, and he takes delight in his determination in those that he loves. So he creates So it's a God, a God of superior, sovereign love shapes the world and shapes us. Now, what, if you don't believe that, what's the alternative? You end up, you, 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 at very best, you can have all kind of, all kind of, of ideas and, and use all kind of words and big words, in fact, to describe it. But at the bottom, it's, the whims of people who think they're superior, but they're mere humans themselves. See, Paul, in writing this letter, he he writes this letter to people who once believed in a nameless, loveless, capricious fate. They believed that the gods were immoral and, and unfeeling and to, and they took no, no interest in, in the human condition, unless it was to mock them. And so for them to think that God would become involved in their lives and, and, and to have a, a definite plan for their good, they would have never thought that. So love, love for the gods and the gods loving them, it was not something that they would have considered. Rodney Stark, a historian, in his book, The Triumph of Christianity, he points this out. He says, the chief emotional ingredient lacking in the traditional Roman faiths was love. Romans thought the gods might come to their aid, but they did not believe that the gods loved them. Indeed, Jupiter was depicted as quite unfriendly to human concerns. 
Consequently, pagan Romans often feared the gods, admired some of them and envied them all, but they did not love them. And see, so this, hearing this news, hearing what Paul is writing that of this God and, and father who's, who's superior, sovereign, and loving, he loved them before the world was created and that he, he created this world for them in love. That would have been radical. That would have changed their life radically. And it did. Now for God, the preeminent God is also a powerful God. So let's look at this verse 11. The power of God. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. You see, God has the power to work out everything in conformity with, his, with the purpose of his will. Everything in conformity. Every act of the past, the present, and the future, every thought in the past, the present, and the future, every consequence in the past, the present, and the future. You can't outthink him. You can't outmaneuver him. And since he is eternal, you can't outlast him. And since he is omnipresent, you can't go someplace where he is not. And since he's omniscient, you can't know anything that he doesn't already know. God never goes, oh. Now, therefore, since God has this power and you don't, you can't conceive of, and I can't either, of working everything out in conformity with the purpose of your will. You don't have the skills for this job. You don't have the skills to be God. In the very fact that, that you and I can think, it's because God has given us that ability. And so the scripture tells us, thus the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Everything you know and everything that can be known and how you know it begins with God. Now someone might ask, if God is so able, if God is able to work everything out in conformity with the purpose of his will, then why did he make creatures that are able to choose against that will? If he made us able to choose, then why does he get upset when we choose against him? Isn't it his fault for making us this way? Well, so that's certainly, you've heard that argument before, and certainly it's an argument that has gone on for centuries. You know, but there's, there's something familiar, perhaps, that, that, that you and I can, that's more relatable as we think about this. Because as parents, we love our children. We love for, we love for them to pick up after themselves. We teach them to pick up after themselves. We might even help them just to show them how. But we tell them that we aren't always going to help them clean up their room. They're going to have to learn to do that themselves. You tell them, clean your room. And then you leave and you go off and you do whatever. You know, you go off to the kitchen or the garden or whatever to work. But you come back and you find that they made a bigger mess in the room. Now, was that your will? No. No, you want it. You wanted a clean room. Is it your fault they made a bigger mess? 
Well, on the one hand, you gave the child the choice to clean the room and to conform your will. But on the other hand, they chose not to conform. Is it your fault? No. It's the child's responsibility. But do you respond with, 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 with disgust and, and you throw the child out in the street? I'm only five. No, you don't do that. You know, but, but with parental power and love, you patiently, with discipline perhaps, work to bring them into conformity with your will. Now, that's simplistic, but you get the idea of how God can both work out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will at the same, and at the same time not diminish our free will, but bring us into conformity with his will as well. C.S. Lewis reminds us uh, that free will, though it makes evil possible, as is also, it's also only the only thing that makes possible any love or goodness or joy worth having. And you see, God's power and love moves us to trust him in this way. You know, there's a poem, it's a good little poem, if you ever run across it, it's called Disappointment, His Appointment, and, and, uh, and there's a, there's, it's, a great, it's a great little poem, Disappointment, His Appointment, change one letter and I see that the thwarting of my purpose is God's better choice for me. His appointment must be blessing, though it may come in disguise, for the end from the beginning, open to his wisdom lies. And there's, a, there's a one stanza in there that, that, that says this, for like loving earthly parent, he rejoices when he knows that his child accepts accepts unquestioned all that from his wisdom flows. Ah. See, God has the power to work out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. See, what, so what exactly is the purpose of his will? Well, verse 9 and 10 is the purpose of God. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. So what's the purpose of God? Well, there are three, three words, reconciliation, restoration, and repair. See, God's purpose is to restore the unity between heaven and earth. His purpose is to repair the breach that exists between heaven and earth. And his, and his purpose is to bring about the reconciliation of all things under heaven and earth, under one head, even Christ. Now, in our, in our world, in, in, in over history, you know, there, there are the atheists and they believe that, that, that ultimately there's no purpose. Expressive individualism, which, which dominates our times and our thinking here in the West, believes that, that, that we can be good for the sake of being good, but there is no transcendent purpose to it. Eastern religions would have us to believe that we're all going to be absorbed into a great cosmic consciousness. But Christianity, Christianity sees everything not as absorbed but subordinated. This is what the text is telling. Christianity sees everything subordinated and yet lifted at the same time. Blessed are you, Paul says, in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Christianity sees the purpose of time and history 
moving toward the unity of heaven and earth. And the scripture here says that this is the mystery of his will. Meaning that it wasn't previously uh, known, but now it's revealed. And Paul, so Paul is saying that every event, every, every event in the Old Testament was leading to this time and is leading to this time when all things will be one under Jesus Christ. Repair the breach between heaven and earth and everything will be all right. Hallelujah. Well, so what's the breach? Well, you know, if we could work back through the reasons for Paul's praise, you can see it. The breach is the breach is sin. Sin is what is what has caused this breach. And it's what Christians call the fall. Adam and Eve, our our first parents, were, were given a command, God's will whereby they were expected to honor and, and, and thus continue to live and, and walk with God, having all, having all of his pleasure already bestowed upon them and the world. However, they disobeyed and thus fell. They fell. From the position they were, they, they fell, and they, they fell from that place of blessing and honor that they once had. And since the fall... God has worked to bring heaven and earth together. So in all of the triumphs and and failures of the patriarchs and the nation of Israel, in in every event in human history, all of the government changes, all of the world, all of the nations that that dominated from one time or another that rose and and fall, all of those, in all of those events, God has been working out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. To bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. But who benefits? Who benefits from this purpose of God's? Well, this is the text is telling it's the people of God. Good verse four and five. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. So who, who are the people of God? Well, they're the ones, they're, they're those that he has chosen and that he has predetermined would be holy and blameless. He's re, those he has redeemed, those whom he has forgiven, people on whom he has lavished his love, people that he has made the, the depositories of his spirit. All through Christ, God's adopted sons, his children. And I know you might be thinking, well, maybe that, that's, that's just too sublime. It's, that's just too wonderful. I don't really fit that description. I understand. But listen, the text tells us God did not make a mistake. Look at the, the latter half of verse 7 and, and, and into verse 8. In accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. So every person, every person who struggles, every person who struggles with sin should latch on to this verse. You know, this, this is the well of salvation. The riches of God's grace. Every person who struggles with sin. See, if you don't struggle with sin, then don't listen to what I'm saying. You don't need to worry about it. But, 
this verse tells us that the riches of God's grace is given with all wisdom and understanding. So the next time you sin that, that same old familiar sin that you've confessed and repented of time and again, God's, the riches of God's grace is given with wisdom and understanding. Now, I like this word understanding it's in the Greek because what it means is, is that it's to, to be of one's party. It's to be, it's to be, on, to, to side with, to seek one's interest and advantage. You see what, what the text is telling us? God's, the riches of his grace. God is not against us. Hallelujah. We have to know God is good. No matter what is taking place. He's not against us. The riches of God's grace are lavished only on sinners in the one he loves. And the Bible tells us God won't quit until we're conformed into the image of his dear son. So Romans 8, 28 and 29 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. God won't quit until we are like Christ. Hallelujah. Now the people of God are the beneficiaries of God's working out everything in conformity of the purpose of his will. But what is God's end game? Well, this, the, the text tells us it's, it's to the praise of God's glory in verse 6 and verse 12 and, and verse 14. Verse 6 says, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. And in verse 12, it tells us that we might be to the praise of his glory. Verse 14 says, who is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. Why? To the praise of his glory. See, God's end game is the praise of his glory. You recall in our our Old Testament reading, why was the Lord insistent on the nations hearing his word? It's for the Lord's glory in restoring his people. Verse 10 of, of Jeremiah 31. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations. Proclaim it in distant coastlands. He who scattered Israel will gather them and will watch over his flock like a shepherd. For the Lord will ransom Jacob and redeem them from the, land, from the hand of those stronger than they. See, this is for the glory of the Lord. This is for, the, he is to be commended. His, his preeminence. His power, his purpose, all of it, he is to be commended for restoring his people and the blessings that he had promised in the covenant to them. And so just like then, when the nations are summoned to behold the faithfulness of God, and they will be, and they are right now being summoned to behold the faithfulness of God to his people, the entire cosmos will behold the church, the unified, multi-ethnic people he has loved and in whom the unity between heaven and earth will be on display. Listen to Ephesians 3, 10 and 11. His intent was that now, through the church, 
The manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. For the glory of God. Yeah, and, and the Bible tells us that God brings about an end to our suffering for his own glory. Listen to Isaiah 61.3. And provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting for the Lord. Why? For the display of his splendor. All for his glory. Jonathan Edwards in the little book, and it's a great little book, The End for Which God Created the World, he writes this. But the end goal of God's labor on behalf of his people is the bringing of glory to himself. Ultimately, his design plan and redeeming work leads to his glory and can be summed up as a God-glorifying process. Hallelujah. And so as we talk about the preeminence of God, the power of God, the purpose of God for the people of God, to the praise of God's, to the, of the glory of God, so what, 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 what does all of that, what does that mean? Well, yeah, so in the real world, it means, you know, that, 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 that we're not condemned to fate. We're not condemned to the whims of, of other people or other men. It means that, that there is a person. A superior, sovereign being who has a plan that has been predetermined to produce the praise of his glory through the man, Jesus Christ. Now, that's, that's too conceptual. Here, here's, the, here's, here's the abstract being made concrete. Because we would not have known that how much God loved us if Christ hadn't come. We would not have known that. Think of it as an author who, who writes a book and they, and they, create, they create this world in, inside, inside of this, this, this piece. And, 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 and they create all of these characters and, these, and all of these characters, these characters inside of that story, they don't know the author. They move about and they do whatever the author has, has, has written the story to be. They don't know the author unless the author chooses to reveal himself and the author comes in and gets involved in the story. That is what Jesus Christ has done for us, the express image of God. He got involved in our story. The, 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 the concept is made concrete in Christ. Christ's life assures us that God will accomplish what he has purposed. See, Christ's suffering in our place on the cross assures us that every circumstance you and I might find ourselves under is going, is not going to keep us there forever. Paul won't forever sit in a jail cell there in Ephesus, there in Rome, rather. Christ, who committed no insurrection, died as an insurrectionist so that you and I could be set free from the cosmic treason that we've committed. You recall Pilate asking the Jews, do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. And then the text goes on. Now Barabbas had taken part in a rebellion. You see, Jesus, who from all eternity 
had never suffered separation from the Father. But while dying on the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So he suffered the separation so that the breach between God and us could be restored. And the Bible tells us that this was the Lord's will. Isaiah 53.10 tells us, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. So you see, I've got to finish. Take, taking the gospel in, into our hearts, taking the, the, believing the gospel, embracing this, this truth, and resting in it, this is what God is calling us to. That God works, God works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, not in spite of troubles, but through our troubles. Because the gospel shows us there isn't any trouble that's going to take place inside of you or outside of you that can stop the purpose of God from being fulfilled. Do you see? Jesus sought our advantage. He sought our, he took up our interest. He sided with us. So there's, therefore, there's none of the bad stuff of the past year will polarize us. None and, and nothing to come in the future of this year will paralyze us since God works out everything in conformity to the purpose with the purpose of his will. And since this is true, Jonathan Edwards again reminds us, every Christian knows that their bad things will turn out for good, their good things can't be taken away, and the best is yet to come. Yes, let's pray. Father, Lord, our hearts agree and our hearts long for you to come, Lord Jesus, and continue to finish your work in us. Oh, Lord God, help us, enable us to trust in your will, Lord. We don't know what's going to happen this year or in the things that take place, but we do know that you work out everything in conformity to the purpose of your will. And it is good for us and for your glory. And we pray these things and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.